Hi, everybody. Welcome to Evolve, where we focus on the evolution of leadership. Things have changed, yet we evolve and adapt. But what's next and what's next for you? Evolve focuses on the intersection of leadership, technology, and workplace. Don't get left behind. Join us in this evolution. Rise and evolve with us. And I'm very excited to introduce our special guest today. Brad, do you mind taking a minute to introduce yourself and your company? Yeah, sure. So my name is Brad Harris, and I'm a professor of management and human resources at HEC Paris. So I'm phoning in today from, from Paris, France. Um, thanks for accommodating the time zone, Kim. Um, my business is education and leadership growth. When I was growing up, I wanted to be a basketball coach. It turns out like you don't have to be, but it really, really helps to be, actually be good at basketball. So that was sort of a deficiency. <laughs> and I found my niche in business education um, as part of that. I don't just teach university students. I teach executives. I coach executives. And I co-founded a group called People Leader Accelerator which is focused on um, a lot of HR leaders in the, in the, usually the VC, but sometimes private equity space that are really, their companies are going through a lot of growth and that's forcing them to grow too. So that's sort of my jam. Um, I'm thrilled to be here. Oh, well, welcome. Thank you. I appreciate you taking the time. You know, I, I think a lot of business leaders today are, are focused really on moving forward from the pandemic. How have team dynamics changed since? Because I think a lot of people just are trying to move on like nothing's ever occurred, when in fact, I think a lot has occurred. And I think a lot of really great leaders need to make some changes to do better moving forward. Yeah, uh, that, that's a wonderful question. I've spent a lot of my career um, as a teacher and as a researcher looking at teams. And certainly what we saw in the past couple of years is unprecedented. We've never, we knew we were kind of shifting toward virtual and global, and that's something we had written about and talked about, but that was all pie in the sky, HBR stuff, um, with some limited research on it. This threw everybody into that mode. And so I'm a little bit of a stickler when we say things like, the world has fundamentally changed in business and the, the things that motivate us and the things that make teams work have fundamentally change. I, I kind of want to push back on some of that. However, I totally agree the way in which teams work and the way that we lead teams really went through a, a seismic shock and the the app, the ripple effect is still going on with the, the great reset, the great resignation, whatever we're going to call that. So what's really changed? Well, I think the obvious thing, the elephant in the room is uh, even if we weren't completely in person, the mode of communication, the mode of collaboration changed totally. So we all went virtual and we all got really, really tired of it. Some of us liked it because we got we had more autonomy. We didn't have to be next to a jerk or a bad boss and things like that. But yeah, but overall collaboration changed. And so there's two really big things that come down to if, if I could boil down team leadership to two areas to focus on. One of yeah. them is team design and one of them is coaching. Uh, in my business, people always want to talk about coaching. This is the the kind of books we read in the airport. Like, how can we be more inspiring? How can we rally around a common purpose? Design's the big one. So it turns out, like, if you have a good design, that can make up for a lot of a bad coaching. Um, whereas if you have a great coach, they can't outcoach a bad design. So a lot of it is just being really thoughtful about how we're going to meet, how we're going to get work done, how are we going to communicate in a way that keeps all these bonds going. So I've been really, really long-winded. But to me... It's the design issue that's probably the number one challenge that, that we are still wrestling with 
hopefully on the on the backside of this COVID thing. Yeah, we're, our fingers are all crossed, definitely. Um, yeah. You know, there's a lot of startup founders, um, you know, executives that are now finding themselves in leadership roles. And how do they find their purpose? Like, I, I don't, I, I think a lot of people start businesses because they're great at something, whether it's software or, you know, an, an AI company or robotics. But at the end of the day, they weren't really signed up to kind of lead a company or to be a leader. They they had this great idea, right? How do they yeah. find themselves? Well, that's the setup to that question is just amazing. And it's so accurate. And I suspect you're living part of this or you have lived part of this. Yeah. You get good at a job. And if you're an yeah. engineer, you learn how to make something really, really cool or you learn how to sell something. And then it becomes you kind of know about that thing, but really you have to relinquish all the stuff you were good at to other people if you want to scale yourself and your business. And you've got to be a manager. You've got to put processes in place. You've got to figure out how to empower people. You've got to figure out how to not to lose your mind when someone screws up one time. Um, so how do we find our purpose? My gosh, um, I'm super sympathetic to that question. And I love working with my undergrads, my MBA students, and the executives that I work with because that's a messy one. The first thing I'll tell you is like, it's not a clean process. So if you're somebody that doesn't know your purpose just yet, uh, you're probably pretty normal. And in fact, a lot of the cool stories we hear, and I could even, if I got paid enough, I could even write like a really cool story about like why Brad Harris found this purpose. But a lot of these are backward looking narratives where we kind of sense make all these experiences and all of a sudden they make sense. And it looks like there's this coherent theme. I'm sure a few of us are oddballs and we have a purpose from the jump. Um, so, so my advice as practical steps for finding your purpose or think about what matters to you. So really go through an exercise of thinking about all the possible values that you hold dear and then narrow that down to three to five. Now, certainly you can hold more than that. Find out what matters to you in terms of values, not behaviors, but values. We'll connect the behaviors later and then figure out where you matter to others. And this might be totally aligned if you're lucky, but in most cases it's not. So look for those touch points. Where do you make a difference, good or bad to people? And then when you have an idea of what matters to you and what you do that matters to other people, you can really start this messy work, but this really, really valuable work of making that Venn diagram overlap a little more completely or changing how you matter to other people. So, um, we probably can't cover this in 15 or 20 minutes, but I would say don't sweat it if you don't know your purpose, but hopefully these two little exercises and the joining um, exercise at the end help you get started a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I think once people moving ahead, you know, kick things off, get a company off the ground, they find themselves in this leadership position, um, a lot of startups are raising money. And yeah. around raising money comes a, a board of directors of a lot of times the, the largest investors. And one of the big challenges is scaling, right? And so how does that purpose become scalable? And what is what's its impact? Because, you know, at the end of the day, it's one thing to say, okay, now I have this team. I know we have to hire people. I know we have to launch this product and make sure it has a good product market fit. But... <laughs> It's yeah. still like you have, and, and maybe you found your purpose or not, but it's the scalability issue that I think a lot of leaders run into. Yeah, uh, scaling is 
I wrote a book with a guy named Andrew Bartlow um, called Scaling for Success that looks at this exact issue. Um, and it's really anchored to these to the scenario you described. Not completely. You can still get value if you're not in the VC space. But imagine you yeah. raise Series A or Series B yeah. funding and you're expected to double your headcount. What does that look like? And a lot of these people, they have product market or they they might have an idea of product market fit, but they don't have it exactly. Like they've got a pitch deck that looks really, really good. They got them the money. <laughs> right. But what what are you going to do once you get this money? You can't just go buy cars and houses and this sort of stuff. Like you have to show your investors that you're you're building something. So we just hire a bunch of people, right? We double our headcount and we say, okay, board of directors, which now has seats filled by some of these VC people, look what we did. This is all building an infrastructure for success. Now, how do we scale that? Um, I want to give a quick caveat that I think purpose is sort of malleable a little bit. It's iterative. We learn and we we evolve and we update. But that aside, uh, there's a guy named Bob Sutton and his colleague Huggy Rao that wrote this book. They're called Scaling Up Excellence. And one of the points they make, and let me see if I can get it right, is it is a lot easier to take something that's better and make it bigger than to take something that's bigger and make it better. So this is your bumps, bumper sticker for the day. And the point there <laughs> is it is a lot easier to, to either know what your business is or at least know your purpose or your business's purposes um, to some with some bounds on that uh, before you start scaling. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, one of the things when I'm looking at a lot of portfolio companies and kind of doing some mentoring things across the country, one of the things I notice a lot when scaling too is that these companies, they have an idea, right? They have a product. They have a concept of a product market fit. A couple things. Number one, they're afraid to pivot. And a lot of times when they're growing, they realize that this perfect idea that they had to begin with isn't going to work um, in that exact way, right? So slight pivots, sometimes larger pivots. But but at the same time, it's you you look at these companies and they think, okay, my competitors are doing it this way. You know, we're going to do it better. And I, I struggle with better because I actually think the way that they're going to succeed is different. And, you know, better isn't good enough anymore. You know, just because somebody can do it faster or smarter or better doesn't really work. I know just like an athlete, right? An athlete that's just a little bit better isn't necessarily going to always win. It's somebody that's really different who changes the game. They're yeah. the ones that are the true winners. And I, I, I it's an interesting people kind of, I, I had a, a gentleman in Pittsburgh one time and he's kind of has a, a local incubator. And he said to me, you know how many people I have to tell every day, if not weekly, that their baby is ugly. And it, it kind of makes me laugh because it's it's really true. Um, you know, so many people just love their idea, right? What they've built. They're afraid to change. They're afraid to do what it takes to grow. And it, it and it's, a, I mean, it's never, it's really not easy, especially when you get handed money and you have these backers and all of a sudden it's not just you and this idea anymore. And now you actually have to, you, you're, you're on the field, you're on the court, you are competing. And uh, I, I I find it really interesting. So when we move on to, let's talk about challenges, right? What are some of the biggest challenges executives face when I, they're trying to achieve their goals, they're trying to reach their full potential? Yeah, um, there's this idea out in the Valley. And yeah, I just did the Valley thing, but it, it, I think it applies <laughs> everywhere. It's a global thing. Um, I'm not even in the valley. That was just really cheap on my part. But there's this idea (laughs) 
of like um, startup physics. And it's it's the principle is that your your startup, especially if it's VC backed and you're getting this exponential yeah. growth and things like this, is growing at a rate that's faster than any of the leaders inside of it can grow. And and that's scary. The one exception would be the founder, because presumably they have the ability to set the stage for all these things. But the founder, the CEO, the the other high level executives are certainly in the spot where their business is growing so fast that they are constantly facing both personally and in their organization, these moments of what got us here won't get us there. Um, yeah. There's a very famous HBR article. It was originally published in the 70s and then reprinted in the 90s called Evolution and Revolution as Organizations Grow. And so what are the biggest challenges? I think it's having the foresight and the courage to say this is broken now. We have to change. And I'm speaking more to internal processes, but I think this also could be extended to what you were saying about yeah. how do we really pivot? Yeah. And, and pivot's an interesting thing. I would love to if you want to jump on the back end of this response and say it like pivot can work the other way too. Like if we're yeah. always pivoting, I think it means like you don't have anything and now you're guessing chasing some costs because you got all this money. Uh, and it would be really weird to give the money back to a V like it would be unusual. Maybe it'd be really admirable. Okay. So what do we, we have these breakpoints, and we're trying to figure out what do we need to change about our organization? And we also have to ask these really, really difficult questions about ourselves. Sometimes it's clear, like, you can no longer as a CEO be in on every single interview because we're hiring 200 people a year. Like that's not a good use of your time. Yeah. Um, but you have to know like what I stand for or what you stand for and then figure out what behaviors are negotiable there. So we get confused with values and behaviors. And I'll be really, really clear here. You need your behaviors to kind of fall in line with your values. Otherwise those values, they don't really exist. They're, they're not really all that important. But the, what, the types of behaviors that can be representative of all these possible values, the, the range is incredibly wide. So yeah. we have to be prepared to actually change things about what we do. And that's, that is really, really scary, Kim. <laughs> it's always scary, isn't it? Don't we? We have to do it constantly. I don't think that yeah. ever, that's it's kind of part of life with everything you do. Now, what have you seen stifle a growing company? Yeah, we could go, you would know just as much, actually, you would know more about this than I do, just from all the people that you speak to and all the, the folks that you're working with. What I'm seeing in the HR space is, you know, we, we get so wrapped up in ambiguity that we just don't even take the time to plan. So yeah. it's like things are coming at us 100 miles an hour. It's stupid to make a, head, a people plan. Well, you need to go into your plan realizing that you're not going to get it perfect. But you got to have some idea of where you're trying to go or like Yogi Berra told us, like you're going to end up somewhere else. Um, <laughs> an, another thing, and I, your podcast is like, I listened to several episodes. It just makes me think about this, all the great advice people are giving you. Um, there's so much information out there and a lot of it yeah. is just bright, shiny objects. And that's one thing your guests do a good job of saying like, Let's cut through all this other, all the noise and let's listen yeah. to what matters. That is right. really, really hard to do if you just scroll through LinkedIn. Like there's all kinds of people saying this worked for us, this worked for this. Well, look, if you're a startup and you're looking at Meta or Google and you're saying, wow, they do that, we must do that. Okay, first of all, there's a good chance they may have succeeded despite that practice. 
Uh, and second of all, they are not a startup anymore. You cannot play that game. So you can get away yeah. with a lot when you're worth several billion dollars and you've got billions of dollars of cash in the coffers. So bright, yeah. shiny objects and then the fear to even sit down and make a plan. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people won't take the time to actually make a plan and then see it through. I, I love that concept of we're just going to wing it and winging it really doesn't cut it, especially when you're building and trying to grow a company. Yeah. Well, you know this too, Kim, like we're always talking. It's it's tough. I'm sympathetic towards these people. Like, why would you make a plan knowing it's not going to be perfect? And two, yeah. we get bombarded with this idea that we need to be adaptable. We need to be agile. And this idea yeah. of making a quarterly or semi-annual plan, like that seems not really <laughs> agile, but it is quite important too. So it like, is quite important. Leadership it's is right. about tensions. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that truth? Um Executives are, are trying to adjust right now to new expectations coming from the workplace, from talent, from everybody. What impact does HR have on those adjustments? Yeah, well, HR should not be looked at as the group that, that gets to fix all the problems after everybody else has tinkered with it and decided that, uh, you know, it turns out it's really, really difficult to build a culture. We shouldn't farm that out just to HR. There has to be other owners of this problem. And we can't take something as as big as DEI and say that's an HR problem like that has to be a values thing and we have to take some we have to live that but what can HR do well HR needs to be empowered um, first that so they have a little bit of latitude but HR also needs to rethink their role a little bit they need to be really really strategic and here's what I mean HR has to first and foremost start with the business they have to know what drives value in the business and if you were thinking about it graphically, you have to work backwards. Just like if I were building a course, I would start with my learning outcomes that I wanted, kind of put in some mediators or these these sort of like really important things that are a little bit fuzzy. And then moving one step the other way, this would be the curriculum design part, really put in specific nitty gritty things that map onto these, these sort of boxes and arrows. So HR has to have the foresight to know what's important to the business and actually get that done. I think HR also needs to, to realize we do have important administrative tasks. Like, let's not get it wrong. You have to get payroll right. You have to be in compliance. But we also have to say we are not the people that actually do all of these things that are under our bucket. We are the people that set up structures, frameworks, and provide tools and resources for other managers to get all of these things done. It's not really an HR problem, this this phenomenon of low engagement or what some people are calling quiet quitting now. That's a that's a management problem. That's a leadership problem. And so, yeah, HR might be culpable in it, but we have to be able to say no, not yet. And we have to build up conditions that allow people to be successful. Yeah, I'm, I'm finding HR has changed drastically in the last couple of years. One of the elements that's really affected us is that HR needs to be involved with anything workplace because the workplace actually affects the people and it can affect their recruiting and retaining talent. And so for my last 25 years of representing corporations and commercial real estate, it was always the CEO, eh, the CFO, sometimes the COO, maybe twice in 25 years was HR involved. And within the last year, I would say 80% of the time 
we're now seeing HR as part of those property tours looking at office space. And the reason why I think at the end of the day is because, wow, they have to actually be able to recruit talent to this new workplace. They need to be able to recruit and retain talent, right? And if that workplace could possibly, you know, be a negative or be a deterrent, then it becomes their problem. And so they should be involved because that's a huge decision. If they're supposed to recruit there, make a, a great place that people want to be, not have to be, then they should be involved. So it's really interesting that that's been a major shift that we've seen just in our own business. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a great example. So we we have HR more and more involved because we all saw yeah. what happened when, when we're not involved. I think yeah. where I would be, it's all a critical thinking exercise, though. Like there's... There was no class that I've ever taught or been taught that shows HR people how to make these decisions with with a lot of scientific <laughs> precision. So this this still has to be a group decision making process. And uh, I'm glad HR is increasingly seeing they're at least in the room for these decisions and have a voice in the process. Yeah, I totally agree. Now, you know, CEOs are obviously constantly evolving, right? right. What advice if you could give a piece of advice right now to CEOs, what advice would you give them? What advice would I give CEOs? If if they just lived through these past few years and they, and they made it out, first of all, I would affirm them like whatever comes at you, you got this. Yeah. What piece of advice I would I would say this is kind of my thing, Kim, and I hope it resonates with somebody. I love to run and I have these vintage Nike running posters in my office and one of them has this old tagline. I think it's still around, but this this was something they used several decades ago called there is no finish line. And I think a lot of us that are high achievers, um, we're always looking for what's next and that's good. And we're thinking about the next steps, but that can be exhausting, too, because we, we kind of fool ourselves into thinking like once I get there, that will be enough. I think if I could tell every CEO, keep running hard, but remember, there's no finish line. So watch your pace, take care of yourself, and remember, it's okay to not run everything in a straight line. It's, a, it's okay to care about your employees, care about your workforce, and care about society uh, more broadly. I love it. That is great advice. Thank you. Seriously, love it. Our goal with Evolve is to help leaders learn, connect, and grow together. And Brad, thank you so much for spending your time today. And I, I look forward to following you and, and speaking with you again in the future. And thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for having me.